We're almost done with the fivefold ministry, unity of the faith. But guys, the church has got to come to unity of the faith. It's so important. So important. We're, we're, we've got to bring people to unity of faith. And today I wanted to speak on the generous use of we. <laughs> that sounds crazy, doesn't it? The generous use of we, the word we, especially in uh, Corinthians. And when I say generous use, I don't mean that when Apostle Paul wrote it, he had a generous use of the word we. I mean, all of us as students of the Bible have used the word we generously in a lot of cases. And we have to be careful because it would be like me saying that um, we, that commode back there, when in fact he really did it, I was his helper, you know? We might actually make it sound like I was right there you know, when really it was like, hand me that. Oh, okay. You know, here, help me set this. Okay, yeah. You know what I mean? There's a huge difference, isn't there? If you, if you want to have the truth, there's a huge difference. Is that true? I don't know so many times in the church that we want to have the truth. We just want to feel good. But we should have the truth. And we should speak the truth, you know. Um, and, I, and so I just felt like this is one of the stops on the way to understanding the importance of the true fivefold ministry. This has been on my heart for 12 years. And you may not have grown up in the same situation I did, but I bet 90% of you did, whether you knew it or not. And the fact is, and I'm not, I'm not by the way, this is not something I'm doing for myself because you guys honor me pretty well, okay? But there are a lot of people out there that aren't honored at all that are in ministry, okay? I mean, the people just treat them like nothing. And now, I have to be careful here because it, I don't want this to sound terrible. Some of them are nothing. Now, what I mean is they're not really called. They're just doing something. And But you still, you still if I'm going to keep myself intact before the Lord, even if they are nothing, I can't treat them like that. You remember what Jesus taught us? He said, look, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in the seat of Moses, so honor them. You hear me? They were wrong, folks. They were wrong. They were stealing from widows and things. But you understand how God works. Hear me. This is not just some man talking. This is Jesus. Jesus said, look, honor with God is huge. If you want to stay intact before him, even if the people are doing bad stuff, honor the office anyway. And this is something that's totally lost on the church. And I'm telling you, it's, it hurts all of us. The body of Christ is hurt because of what we do. Just like families are hurt because children have been brought up to honor their father and their mother. And what does that mean? Well, they also don't honor government. They also don't honor police. They don't honor rules at school. They don't Because honor is just honor. It doesn't matter where it applies, right? You have to learn it somewhere. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. And so if you don't learn honor at home, you're not going to honor at church. You're not going to honor wherever you go. You're not going to honor when you go in the military. They're going to have to beat you or either kick you out, right? I mean, it doesn't matter. If you didn't learn honor in the workplace, you're going to be a mess. You're going to be the one that never does what your superior person, t you know, the person above you, the boss tells you to do, and you're always going to have an excuse for it. Anybody know anybody like that? They have an honor problem. That's all it is. They were taught that they're just as important no matter what their position is as anybody else and they don't have to worry about it. That's not godly. I want to dispel that. That's not godly. 
If Jesus Christ said, look, honor the scribes and the Pharisees because they sit in the seat of Moses. Just don't do as they do. Wow! He's owning up to the fact they weren't doing right. And yet, because they hold that position, it's honorable. And you know in your soul right now that so many of us, we make our own rules regarding that. We say, well, I'm not honoring that person because they're not what they ought to be. Wow. That's right. Guys, Wrong. not godly. Not godly. And that's in any situation. Remember Apostle Paul taught us, he said, those of you who work for someone, don't work for them like you're working for them. Work for them like you're working for God. These are the things that are washed. They just, they just scuttle through the cracks, and Christians just ignore that stuff, right? Oh, I'm saved. I'm not going to really worry about that stuff. Huh? Am I right? Yeah. And it's not taught in our families. A lot of times it's not taught from the pulpit sometimes, right, in, in different things. Guys, those are the things that make a difference between us and God. If I don't want to be transgressing, I'm not talking about going to hell. I'm just saying in need of correction or chastening or judgment because I don't like that from God, do you? You don't think that if I'm, if I'm out of whack with the way he believes, he's not going to chasten me a little bit? <laughs> I don't want it, <laughs> but I'm going to get it. And I'm not any different from you in that regard, right? So this is why it's important to talk about these things because even if people are not honoring their leaders, if they've elected them leaders, I can't tell you, and I just want to, this will be it, okay? But I want to, I want to hit this very carefully. If a pastoral search committee calls a pastor to a church and then a year later they're disregarding that person, can't wait to get rid of them, who made a mistake? God? Well, then isn't there a lot of evidence that we're making a lot of mistakes? And, and however, if you did make that mistake, you still can't disregard that person, dishonor them like so many people do because of what Jesus taught us, Right? So if leaders in churches are doing these things, what's happening to the people, the congregants? What kind of word are they getting from God? What kind of perspective are they hearing from their leaders? It's almost nothing, folks. How many of you remember Eli? You remember what it said about Eli? It's funny, you know, Eli's name is half of Elijah's name. He had a chance. <laughs> Really, Elijah, right? But Eli didn't have the life of Elijah. Eli didn't really seek God. In Eli's days, it said, there wasn't much word of the Lord coming forth, right? He was kind of quiet out there. No, God was speaking. Eli's ears were just packed full of whatever. Couldn't hear. He couldn't see, right? Because he wouldn't discipline his sons who were just running roughshod over in our day, we'd call it the church, the children of Israel, right? And God even got on to him. He said, well, do what you think is best, God. He wouldn't take care of it. Everything went bad for him, too. You know? That's that chastening type thing. God was trying to rein him in. Hey, man, you need to turn around. I'm going to have to remove you. 
as a priest, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to move you and put somebody in here that'll take the way I look at things seriously. I think we should all measure our life by that. Is God gonna have to move us or take action? Because we don't take what he takes seriously. We take what we take seriously. So that's why we want to teach this. Because you cannot, again, you can't force five-fold ministry. You can't force it on people. It can't be lorded. That's a rule of God. Oh, people do it. People have made folks sick of pastors and apostles. Apostles especially, because a lot of them think, oh, I'm the head of everything. I can just walk into a church and tell everybody what to do, right? The first thing you know about them is they don't understand God. Because Jesus said it out of his own mouth. You don't lord it over each other. This is not who we are. We're not like the Gentiles, right? It's to be accepted as a gift, or you just do your job and don't worry about them, right? Amen? That makes sense. Okay. So, the generous use of we, if you will, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we just want to begin to set the stage for what we're going to be talking about. And you've probably been in church your whole life if you haven't, never heard any teaching on this subject. And it's, it's really a shame. And I haven't done a lot of it either, so we're on, I'm trying to correct that. But <clears throat> you there? Okay, I want to start with verse 3 actually. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Now, I want to stop. When you read that in the Bible, if you're a, ten, if you're a proponent of the generous use of we, you understand that that means everybody, right? He comforts us. Am I right? Amen. Except that's not what Paul's saying. Now, is it true? Yes. God comforts all his believers. But that's not what Paul's saying. And if we want to be accurate in our understanding, like we said, we should have truth, right? And so let's rest of it. Who comforts us in all our tribulation, oh, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. Now, let me say this. He's talking about his ministry organization, his group of ministers. He's explaining that when they go out, the comfort they received by the grace of God as ministers is the same. That comfort is what they use to comfort others. Now, is it true that we all do that? Yeah, but probably not on the same level because most people in the congregation, it's not their job day in and day out to comfort folks like it is the ministry. Does that make sense? And yet, because of the generous use of we and the application of everything in the Bible to the body as a whole, instead of understanding there are different gifts and graces, we've missed that. Does that make sense? Anybody got an amen? amen. We've missed that. Yes. We have missed that. And why is it important? Because we don't understand and we don't teach our kids that for comfort you go to God and the way to go to God sometimes for comfort is to go to his ministers. We don't teach them that. So they don't honor ministry. And what's bad about it? It hurts them. Because that's God's chosen way to comfort one of them. Amen? This is new to a lot of it. I can see the stare. And yet it's right there in black and white. 
it is right there in black and white. Now, we'll, we'll keep going. We'll talk about a few other things here. Let's go to verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 14. Because this is woven throughout, actually, 1 Corinthians 2, but this is closer to where we're going. So, um, I guess um, I'll start at verse 14 here. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. And generous use of we. That means the whole body of Christ. And yet, not what Paul's talking about. Could it be true on some level? Absolutely. But not on the level it is through ministry because that's their job. Does it make sense? It's their full-time job. If, and I'll use a plumber for the sake of that's what's on my mind. If you're a plumber, can other people plumb? Sure they can. What's the difference between you and some other handy person perhaps or some other homeowner that has to do it because of their financial situation? You probably have a greater talent and are able to do it much better and quicker and with less mistakes. Now, I'm using a natural application. When we talk about the ministry, it has a much greater differential in that God graced that person to do it, one of them, and the other person has probably just seen it done. I have pe- Exactly, anointing, somebody said. Amen. We can call that grace or anointing. Paul used the word grace more than anointing. That's why I do that. And a lot of people, I, I'll tell you, you get in discussions with a lot of Christians just in general, they don't know the word anointing. Even people with a, with a, with a master's or a doctorate, if they didn't go to a, what I would call a full gospel seminary, they don't, the word anointing as far as the New Testament, they don't, it doesn't jihad because they weren't taught about anointings. Because quite honestly, they don't believe in them for the New Testament because they err and they use the generous use of we. And even in their doctoral degrees, they were taught the generous use of we. Okay? And so that's why I want to make a point of it. I'm going to, t- I'm going to show you what ministry is in a minute, and it's going to shock you. But let's look at it. All right. Let me find my place again. 2.14, or into 15. Okay, thank you. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ... We, again, he's talking about he and his ministers, not we. Although we are not on the same level. Amen? For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And how do I know he's not talking about everybody? Because he's only talking about ministers of the word. Look at verse 17. For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God. But as of sincerity, and this is what's even more important, but as from God. You understand there are a lot of people peddling the word of God that just, why, I, I, Jesus changed my life, man, I've got to go tell people. Right. They end up pastoring churches, folks, right. all over the place. They decide, well, I've got to go to seminary. I've got to, get, I've got to go tell folks, right? Jesus didn't tell them to go tell anybody. You know how many times there are in the Bible when somebody wanted to go with Jesus, he'd say, no, you need to go home. 
the man who was delivered from the legion of demons wanted to go with Jesus. He said, look, I've had a tremendous change in my life. I want to go tell everybody. Jesus said, just go home. That's your job. Go home. Take care of your family. Just flies in the face of most beliefs in most churches today. If you've had a tremendous experience with God, you should go into ministry. My goodness, you should tell everybody. No. You should do what God created you to do. That's a novel idea, isn't it? You should do what God created you to do. Now, we don't have time to talk about all the troubles that could cause, but think about it for a minute. If God has somebody he anointed to go into ministry, and he has somebody that has this tremendous change, like the guy who was saved from a legion of demons, right? This guy's got a lot of notoriety, am I right? Oh, he was saved. What's his testimony going to be when he comes into, ah, God delivered me from a 10,000 demon legion. Let me tell you. And he just goes, in, and this other guy shows him, he says, well, I was just called by the Lord. In the natural, they're all going to go with this guy. In the spirit, Jesus told him to go home. Wake up, church. Wake up, church. How many people are leading churches? with this right here or trying to they're not because God hadn't graced them to do it but they're standing there am I right it makes sense you've been influenced by it if you've been in a church I guarantee you because it's hard for people not to be led by the natural and that's what we were teaching about three weeks ago when we were talking about the difference between someone who can give a testimony and one who has received a testimony from God, you see there's a difference. Amen. Amen. And most of what we see, we're inundated by people who can give a testimony, but we're not really seeing that many people who have received one from God. And that shouldn't be okay. A mature church should be able to gently point that out and say, no, you need to go back to the drawing board. God will send you when it's time, if it's time at all. When your time comes, it'll happen, right? Amen. But people trying to run out, they want to run out. And Apostle dealt with this all the time. He said, hey, don't be hasty into laying on of hands. What's he saying? Let the time prove a gifting, right? Let time prove it. That's not, for, again, hey, that's not for everybody. Apostle Paul's gifting was proven just like that. So there are going to be people that it's just their time and God propels them to the front, right? But most not. It makes sense? Okay. So <clears throat> having said that, look at, uh, let's look at the next one. We need to speed up here. Let's just go on to 2 Corinthians 10, if you will. All right, and this is, this is hard to talk about, and it, it'll upset some people, but I do want to talk about it because I want everybody to be able to see the difference here. All right? What was the name of Jesus' soup kitchen? Apostle Paul, Peter, what's the name of their soup kitchen? What, you don't know? But that's ministry, right? Isn't that the greatest ministry there is? 
What was the name of their, they, you know, they built houses and gave them to people. What was, what what they call that? That ministry? Anybody? Clothing. Did they give to the poor? Yes. They did. Every Christian's called to give to the poor. Not as, not as a, not as like an organizational ministry, just as a person that's filled with God. If we see somebody in need, we're called to do it. Right? It doesn't, Hey, I'm going to wake you up. It doesn't take a special anointing per se. Not that some people don't have somewhat of an anointing to be in helps ministries. But you do realize unsaved people are in so-called helps ministries, right? And yet, why does the church glorify helps and not the word? Because it's natural. What are we proving? 2,000 years post Christ, the church is still primarily carnal, natural, not spiritual. Shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. Amen? Again, we are all called to do that, and there are some people that have a grace to do it and to um, organize it. And, do the, and hey, they should be honored in accordance with what the Word says. Amen? Hey, is that true? But let's, let's look at what we're talking about in, in 10 verses 2. And I guess we'll probably start in 2 Corinthians 10, 1. <clears throat> now I, Paul, Apostle Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Why is Apostle Paul pleading gently? I mean, why didn't he just tell them what to do? Yeah, why? It proves our theory. He has authority over the church, folks. He started these churches. Amen? But that doesn't mean anything in terms of forcing people to do anything. You understand? That's Satan's bag. He's the one that wants to take you over and force you to do things. The minister of Christ pleads with gentleness because it's a gift that must be received by the congregation. It can't be forced. It can't be contrived or it's not real. Right? Amen? Because if I force you to do something that was not in your heart, understand God judges the heart. He's concerned above all things with our heart. For what's in our heart will dictate what the outside does. Amen? And see, Satan always does it backwards. He does not care about your heart. He just wants bad things to happen in the natural. So he would take you over and have you do bad things in the flesh, and he wouldn't care about your heart. But God's ways are much higher than that. And God wants everything done on the outside of a person to be driven by the goodness on the inside. Right? And so that's why he says, hey, I have every reason in the world to, almost, to even make you do this because it's right. Okay? I know it's right. But I'm pleading with you. Hear me. And, and just take the gift for what it is. Amen? Makes sense. Okay. So... This is what he says, uh, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in, pres who in presence, that, that means when he's with you, right? When Paul's present with them. In presence, I am lowly among you. That's the way a minister should be. 
when they're mixing around with the people, lowly. And a lot of people take somebody that's not aggressive and affirmative, like they're not gifted by God, and the two don't correlate. But so many of our leaders are the ones that are the most aggressive, the most loud, if you will, the most quick to tell you what you should do. And yet, Apostle's example is that really it should be the opposite because it has to come to you in a way you can receive it in your heart. Amen? Okay. I'm protecting you later on in case you don't go to this church, by the way. So that you don't fall into the wrong hands. You know? Amen? Okay. And that's what he's doing also, by the way. Um, he said, I'm lowly among you in presence, but being absent, I'm bold. In other words, he would write these letters. He couldn't do it via YouTube, you understand? But he would write them these letters. His letters were very powerful. The letters were powerful because it was the Word of God. It was the anointing of God. They couldn't see Paul. They could just see the letter. And the letter was so powerful. And then when he would come visit, he was just a normal person among them. They're like, is this the same guy? Literally, that's what they were going through. They like, this dude, he can't, his, his speech is not even good. He's not even a good orator. He doesn't even deliver a good sermon. How many of you got grandmas and aunts and everybody that they base the church based on how good the sermon is delivered, right? Amen? Come on. If it's polished and well-delivered, then we had a good day. Amen? Well, I want you to understand that's not, that has nothing to do with God. Apostle Paul apparently was not as polished, but buddy, let me tell you, he was packing spiritual heat from God. And that's what you want, right? And it's interesting that in the natural, you would not have seen it being around him. You'd have to be a spiritual person to pick it up. A carnal person. And I don't mean, look, carnal, I don't mean lustful. and No, I just mean somebody that lives according to the natural rules instead of having looked up into the heavenly where Christ is, right? And, and they've made it their mode of living to be spiritual. Amen? So though we walk in the flesh, well, I don't want to get there yet. This way he says, um, again, ending on ver chapter verse 1, being absent, I'm bold towards you. Look at verse 2. But I beg you, and this way he says, I'm begging you with the gentleness and the meekness of Christ to do something, right? I'm begging you. I'm not forcing you. I'm not even trying to force you. But I beg you so that when I'm present, I may not be bold with the confidence by which I intend to be bold against some. In other words, he, he is going to have to discipline a few. But he's not trying to do it to the whole crowd, right? Who think of us, that's that we or us, except for he's just talking about he and the ministers here, right? Who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Again, don't be generous with the we. He's talking about those in the ministry, right? Now, the rest of this little part of this verse is going to be something you've heard a bunch of times, and it's been applied to everybody equally, and you're going to find out that was incorrect, right? I guess I'll read it, and it'll make sense, and then we'll go through it. You ready? For though we walk in the flesh, we war not according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity towards the obedience of Christ. You ever heard that? And we've applied it to everybody. 
The church applies it to everybody. You know the weapons of our warfare. You hear two people talk, the weapons of our warfare are strong. Understand, Paul was not talking about the congregation. He was talking about the ministers. Now, if again, if we want to be true contextually, somebody should have let us know that. But we've applied it generously to everybody equally. Equally. Have we not? If you've been in church, you know I'm telling the truth. It's written, it's, it's, there are pictures hanging in churches. The weapons of our warfare are this. And that's true. Again, anybody can plumb, but not everybody's called to it. And there's a difference there, especially spiritually. Amen? That makes sense? So what he is saying, understand, he's telling the congregation of the church this. I beg you when I'm present that I won't have to be bold with the confidence that I have by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us, us being the ministers, the fivefold office, who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. And we have just spent the last 30 minutes setting the case and proving the case that most people in church think of ministers and look at ministers as if they walk according to the flesh. The same problems we deal with today are the problems they were dealing with then, and the same problems they were dealing with then are the problems we deal with today. Hmm? Make sense? As if they walk according to the flesh. Now look at what he says, because you've got to use the word according to. Means from throughout. In other words, the source is the flesh. Okay? All right. Verse 3. For though we walk, you notice now, he does not say according to the flesh. The next time, what does he say? For though we walk in the flesh... In other words, though I have a flesh body and that is how I walk, right? The job of the ministry, their full-time occupation does not proceed from the flesh. This is a huge difference that's got to be understood in the body of Christ. They are unique in that aspect. Again, if, if, and I'm going to use the same thing. If I'm a plumber and I'm doing that as full-time occupation as, as, as sent by God, right? Amen. I'm not, I'm not downgrading. I'm just saying if that's what I do and that's how I please God. Amen. I provide for my family. And you know what I'm doing? When I'm doing it, I mix with other people and they see my testimony, right? And that's how people get saved. It's not necessarily by bringing people to where people are saved. It's by bringing saved people to where they aren't. Does that make sense? Because most people's idea of church is that, oh, we'll bring people to church and they'll get saved. No, actually, the church is so saved, they don't talk about salvation a lot. They talk about further things. Where people get saved should be out in the field where the church goes out and does their occupation every day and they take salvation to the unsaved and then they bring those people into the church. Amen? Make sense? Okay. 
So that's why you hear people say, well, you know, I had a tremendous experience with God. I guess I ought to go in the ministry. No, probably not. You understand? Probably not. Why? Because people don't get saved in church. Most people get saved outside. And if everybody that has an experience with God decides, oh, I'm going to go preach. Well, who's going to save people? Who's going to do the work of the ministry? Does that make sense to anybody in the room? Does that make sense to anybody in the room? If the church is not going out, then the church is not reaching out. And what do churches do? They make up for it. Well, you know, we'll cook hot dogs and invite people. How about just do it the way it was set up? How about just be Christ when you go out to your job every day and get people saved? If they ask you a question you don't have the answer to, say, well, you know, I'm not in ministry. So you need to come with me to the ministry and we'll get it answered. Right? Wow, what if we just did it the way it was designed? It might work. It might work. I'm going to say, since it's the mind and counsel of God, it probably would. It probably would work. But if we take everybody who has an experience with Jesus Christ, which is the requirement for being saved, and we bring them all into the ministry, who's left to go out and mix with the world and save them? That makes sense. Starting to, yeah, exactly. Exactly. What happens is people want to leave the point of contact they have with the very people they say they're trying to save. Now, in Ephesians 4, when it says that the fivefold office is there to do what? Equip the saints to the work of the ministry. It doesn't say he's there to turn them all into preachers so they'll leave their occupation. It's actually there to equip them so they go back to their occupation and they can do the work of the ministry. Amen? Wow. Okay. And this is why church is having to get so creative to get people in church, right? Guys, there are people doing baptisms and they do a water slide into a, a swimming pool. A kiddie pool. Am I kidding you? I, either you like it or you don't. I don't have an opinion, but I am saying that's kind of far-fetched. You know, I don't see Jesus doing that. You know, but, I, but, but Jesus, he was lined up with the Father. And when we're so out over here in our understanding, we probably do have to resort to things like that just to get any interest. I'm going to tell you something, though, and, and, and I say this from my heart. If you're a genuine person, and you've been touched by Christ, you're worth your neighbor listening to. If you're a genuine person, an honest human being, and you go to work every day and you do your job as unto the Lord, and you're good and you take care of your family and you do the things God's called you to do, let me tell you something. That is enough for, to warrant somebody asking you what you have in your life. And when they ask, all you have to do is share it. Amen. Amen. And if you do just that, the church worldwide will grow. That's right. The church worldwide will grow. That's God's pattern. Amen. Day in and day out, that is ministry for 99% of the body of Christ. That is ministry. And it may not always be getting somebody saved. It may be somebody that's already been saved and they just don't have a lot of understanding. They don't know who to trust. They don't know where to get answers. They just need somebody close to them that, that, that can help them along. And you don't think that's important to God? 
Of course it is. One of his saints is so important to him. Amen? Amen. Yeah, it's very important to him. So he's talking about ministry when he says this. This is what he says. For though we as fivefold ministers walk in the flesh, we don't war from the flesh, down throughout the flesh, okay? In other words, he's calling it war, but what is it really? It's their work. If you look at the apostles in Acts, the original 12, well, and it ended up being 11, they replaced one of them, right? So it came to be 12 again. What did it say? It said, they said, we should not go and do the work of the deacons. In other words, even though, and, and you understand, oh gosh, Father, I can't say all this, but I'm going to get in trouble, such trouble, but I, I want you to understand, please understand. <laughs> There's so many things that are, that are just kind of out of order that you, know, you don't even know where to start, but the idea that pastors visit, just visiting, just stopping by. Guys, name me an apostle that made a habit of going by people's houses and hanging out and visiting. Name me one. Name me a house Jesus went to just to go check on somebody. I just want to stop by. I'm just probably having a hard time. I just, I just want to be here, just listen. How many times did Jesus go to my house and just listen to them? Anybody? Paul? Peter? Anybody? Any evidence Timothy did? Titus did? You want to go on further down the list? Why? Because the ministry of the word was their calling. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but isn't that what the body of Christ is for, to go to their neighbor's house and listen? Isn't that the work of the ministry? And I get people, I hear people judging their pastor. He's just not a good visitor. I don't know. I don't know. He can kind of preach, but he's just not good at visiting. He's probably not good at visiting because it's not in the wheelhouse of a five-fold minister to spend time out visiting. Now, that's going to knock some people down. They're going to want to knock me down, but I, I'm just going to point here. Amen. Show me one. Amen. Show me one. And what did the apostles say, the original talk? They said, it is not meat for us to do that when we should be spending our time in prayer and in ministry of the word. What's the full-time job of a five-fold minister overall? In prayer and ministry of the word. Now, they were the apostles. I'll give you that. Okay? But everybody is cut. This in the five-fold ministry extends from that same mold. And everybody does in general as well, but on a different level. Right? Prayer and the ministry of the word. If you work in a secular outside occupation, you will know it's hard sometimes to have time to pray. But that should not be the case with a fivefold minister. Their life is devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. That's what they do. Amen? Amen. That makes sense? Okay. Now, this is what he says. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war or do our job out from the flesh. Our talent doesn't proceed from the flesh. I can get up here and sing. I can dance. I can be Mr. Personality. I did it for years in the insurance business. Okay? 
You know what? When I came into ministry, you know what God said? I don't want you using any of that carnality stuff on people. I don't want you being Mr. Personality. I don't want you to be Mr. People Person. You knock that down. I don't want you singing too much. And certainly don't make it about yourself. Knock that down. You know why? Because that's not him. He's about what he puts in you coming to the forefront. He's not about people getting converted by a man. He's about people getting converted because they see Christ in someone. Because then their conversion rests on Jesus. And when a man fails, they can say, well, it wasn't that man anyway. If people knew that, they wouldn't be upset about Robbie Zacharias. Hear me? They wouldn't be upset when a man falls because they'd look at themselves and say, well, I've fallen 72 times. I guess he can fall once. And yet people are still having these discussions in the church like somebody shouldn't have fallen. They're in the flesh, folks. They walk in the flesh. They're not perfect. But the God in them is. The anointing on them is powerful. Amen? Amen? Amen. That's simple, but it just, poof, apparently right over people, you know. They're all torn up about, well, you know, am I really saved? I mean, good grief. That person didn't save you. They weren't on the cross for you. <laughs> wow. Anyway. This way it says, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our, our warfare, fivefold ministry, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly. I'm not driving a nail carnally. I'm not plumbing two fittings together carnally. Amen. How many churches are calling their pastors to do a full-time job in ministry and go out and put two fittings together too because they don't pay them enough? And they're proud of it. Man. Mm, I don't even, I'm not even going to say anything about that. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. You know what I've been doing for the last hour? Pulling down strongholds. Things that have a hold in the body of Christ that need to go. Can you hear me? Pulling down strongholds. That's what we do. Why? Because they build false narratives in the body of Christ and block the unity of the faith, right? You with me? Mm -hmm. They're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Remember what their ministry is, the ministry of the word, sending forth the knowledge of God. So they what? They go against automatically every high argument that exalts itself against the truth of the knowledge in God. Amen. 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 Bringing every single, and I say single because every would mean single, right? Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. That's why we spend so much time on something like fivefold ministry. People say, why we... 
Why would you spend so much? That's not even that important. Yeah, it is because there are thoughts in there. There are thoughts in there, and there are high things in there that exalt themselves against what God's trying to do, bring the unity of faith. And so those things have to be torn down. They have to be pulled down. They have to be exposed. They have to be stepped on and crushed because it's the devil. And you don't play nice with somebody that wants to kill you. I don't know if the church has realized this yet or not, but you don't play nice with somebody that's trying to kill you, steal from you, and destroy you. You can't give any place to him. Because there's nothing he's doing in the church that's innocuous. There's nothing that's okay because it's not that bad. And I have people come to me and say, well, you know, I go to this church and I understand, you know, we believe in once saved, always saved, and that we take that too far. But, but you know, I just really like going there. That is a false doctrine from the pit of hell, and you know it, and you continue to go there and support that with finances, with time, and with your face being there. Right. Not that everybody's perfect, but when you know, you know. Right? Well, and, and this is what I get. Well, I'll be the one that's in there telling everybody, no. There again, there again, you've got to honor that pastor. Remember what Jesus said. Hey, they sit in Moses' seat. You honor them. Just don't do what they do. So you can't be the one sitting in there saying, oh, the pastor's preaching wrong. You're not honoring them. Now, what you've got to do is leave and not make a big deal out of it. And when somebody asks you on the street, just say, well, this doctrine, I just, I don't find that it's true. And I can't sit under that kind of teeth. And if people did that, let me tell you what would happen. Everything would change in the body of Christ because people would move to where the unity of faith is taking place and where it's not, it, they just trickle out quietly and be over here. Amen? Yeah. Okay. So, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And um, I, think, I think we'll stop there. Verse 6, we should read it. And being ready to punish all disobedience. Amen. And he says, when your obedience is fulfilled. Speaking of the Corinthians there, because they've been called to support his ministry. Partnership, giving. And they had done it for Titus, but they hadn't continued so much. And so that's why he's saying... And if you read, read verse 9, you'll see where he says, if you'll give, it'll be given unto you. You don't have to worry about it. Share in partnership with the ministry, and God will take care of you. And so this is the continuation of that statement. How many of you know the hardest thing for a person to do when they're serious about it is give from their wallet? I don't know why it is, but it seems that it is a lot of times, right? Amen? And it's also really hard to trust that God will make it up to you, whether you're a pastor or whether it doesn't matter. It's just, but guess what? The proving of your faith is beautiful, right? And I will say this as a personal thing now, now that we're done. If you look at the ministry that you guys are doing, with this small a congregation, and you're taking care of me, Right? And spiritually, I'm taking care of you, right? Mm -hmm. Amen. Mm -hmm. Look at what can be done. Amen. 
when people submit and trust God. If you did that on the scale of 10,000, look at what will be done. Amen? Does that make sense?